0: accessible geek podcast with aaron camaro and chris Sinzak.
1: i've got a blister on me tongue we're not doing that this week oh jeez yeah that's right Oh, well. Welcome to the Decibel Geek Podcast. I'm Aaron Camaro, joined as always by Chris Sinzak. Thanks for uh, helping me out there, man. No Beatles this week.
2: No, I think two weeks in a row was enough.
1: I think so, too. It was but
2: fun, but it's time to move on.
1: We're still doing British Invasion, though, right?
2: Yeah, we're staying with the British Invasion, but this is a different sort of British Invasion.
1: Yes, we're going to get a... Well, we, we did heavier side of the Beatles, but, man... Nothing the Beatles have ever done would be able to even come close to touching the heaviness of Judas Priest,
2: yeah, there's a long time coming, you know, I've been doing this show for well two and a half almost all well, over almost three years now. God, that's yeah. hard to believe nice. um that's so, true. but, uh, yeah, Judas Priest is hard to believe we haven't done this yet, but yeah, Judas Priest has been on our list for a long time, and
1: sure, one of my favorite bands, and I know one of yours too well, the,
2: I, I'm not gonna say one of my favorite bands, but i've I've grown to love what? them more, especially <laughs> after we recorded this one. I mean, I have been a fan. Like I bought "Screaming for Vengeance" when I was about thirteen, I think, at a yeah, mall, right and on. I loved it. And I loved some of the stuff I listened to, but I, like I didn't get into hardcore into the catalog really until we started preparing for this week's show. And uh, we also kind of held off on doing this show until we could get. You know, somebody come in with us that really is a huge Priest fan that would have an interesting perspective on it.
1: Right, because we had so much fun when we did the Van Halen discussion with uh, Todd Zilla. Yeah. You know, we realized this is the perfect way to do it. I mean, you can talk to somebody in the band and they can tell you all kinds of cool stories, but you talk to somebody who's a real, true fan. And you'll get a real insight into why people love this band.
2: Yeah, and our guest today is uh, Metal Tim Henderson from BraveWords.com, the guy that founded BraveWords.com. Hell yeah. And uh, if you've never checked out BraveWords, you owe it to yourself. They are like the best rock and metal news site on the on the internet.
1: That's where I go. You know, there's a lot of rock and metal news sites out there and some that are really super popular. But when I go to these ones, you know, I find like... There's a whole bunch of bands that I've never heard of. You, you don't want to hear... there's a whole bunch of bands that are black... Bleh, you don't want to hear about music, Icelandic you know?
2: death metal and stuff like right. that. Right.
1: You know, so that's why I go to Brave Words because they, you know, they filter it down for guys like us, you know, yeah. what we dig.
2: And, you know, a lot of you that that listen to this show um, wouldn't even know about the show if it wasn't for Brave Words because they've, they've Absolutely. covered a lot of stuff that we've put out. So uh, we yeah. owe a, a debt of gratitude to that. But, you know, aside from kissing their ass you know tim's done a lot for us but we wanted to have him on because he the guy really knows his metal and he really knows priest he
1: really knows his priest
2: so we uh you know we talked to him over the holidays we're like hey you want to come on and you know what band do you want to talk about and he's like let's and then we both all came to the agreement of judas priest is perfect Mm so um he brings it in this episode and uh, we're going to discuss every album in the priest catalog including the ripper owens albums
1: yeah everything and um but stop Collaborate and listen. Before before we go any further, we've got to do Geek of the Week. Oh, yeah, we do. And I've got a bone to pick. Okay. (laughs) With the listeners. All
2: right. Why why do you have a bone to pick with the listeners?
1: When a cool band sends me some CDs to distribute to you, the awesome listeners of the Decibel Geek podcast, I would expect some response. People going, free CD? What do I got to do? Not much? Okay. Sign me up. All right. What, is is getting free stuff not metal anymore? I don't know. The, I used to think that getting free stuff was about as metal as it gets. It's good either way. I don't it's know if it's good metal. either way. So our Geek of the Week this week, without a doubt, is Trevor McDougal. And this guy is a Canadian. And I even said, when I, when I put up the, the thing that said I had free CDs from 210 to Lowell, Um, they, they were cool enough to send me some, I wanted to share them with you guys. I said, no overseas orders because you know, it's too expensive. Right. But this guy, he was the only one that responded. He said, free stuff. Count me in. It's metal.
2: Yeah. And in fairness, it's only been about a a day since we put this up. So we, we want to give you guys another week to, to get on top of this.
1: Free stuff is metal is what I'm saying. I know it, you know it, and Trevor McDougall knows it, and he's got a free CD coming.
2: So if they're not on the, the Decibel Geek fa- Facebook fan page, how do they enter this contest?
1: Well, they can't. You have to be on the Decibel Geek Facebook page. Who's not on the Decibel Geek Facebook page? That's ridiculous.
2: Okay, so how do you enter the contest?
1: Well, what you do is you go to the Facebook page and find out. Trevor McDougall did it. You guys got to do it for yourselves, too. Do your homework. Go to, go to the Facebook page. All right. I just quit smoking, man. Give me a break. I'm, I'm a little irritable. A
0: little. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs>
2: all right. Well, so let's cure the irritability and talk ah, a little bit of Judas Priest.
1: Yes, that'll make anybody feel better. I know you guys are going to enjoy it.
2: Braveboards, did you found Boards?
3: Yes, sir. That's awesome. It was it was founded um, in early 1994. Actually, this is our 20th anniversary. Um, well,
1: congrats to
2: begin with. Yeah.
3: yeah, the magazine was founded by me in um, in early 1994. Actually, it was it was it was first a fanzine called Metal Timbits, and then. For some reason, for a long time, previous to that, um, the name Brave Words and Bloody Knuckles from that famous Agony Column album um, really stuck to me. And I said, if I ever do my own fanzine, it's going to be called Brave Words and Bloody Knuckles. And I've had a blessing from the band um, like a number of years ago. But yeah, we we started it um, in 1994, man. 20 years. woohoo!
1: Heck yeah, man. Who would ever thought that? That's incredible.
2: Yeah, and I yeah we owe a, a huge debt of gratitude to you because you have helped spread the word for our show in yeah. n- numerous ways. We've gotten a lot of listeners thanks
3: to you. Well, I appreciate that, man. It's um it's nice to be hanging with the Decibel Geeks. Nice, <laughs> very cool. <laughs>
2: uh, so, uh, yeah, we I was when we wanted to get Tim to come on the show, I was like, let's pick a band that Tim is passionate about, and we came to the agreement that Judas Priest would be the band we would talk about. So, I'm guessing Judas Priest holds a special place in your heart.
3: Yeah, no question. It's it's probably ranks as one of my top 10 um, bands of all time, without question. And not that I had to do any research um, before we came on, but you know what I mean? You kind of go back in the catalog and refresh yourself a little bit. And it's just, it's, it's, it was just a, like, what a wonderful history, right? That they have. It's, yeah. Going back to the, like the early 70s, you just look at all, even rock and roll, you know and I mean, every album had something to offer. It was, um, it was, it's. You know what I mean, and I love Rob to death. But whenever you think of heavy metal, I think Judas Priest really is the first band that springs to mind, even above a Sabbath or a Metallica, which came way, way later, right? Mm-hmm. Just Judas Priest just kind of embraced that phenomenon. It took a few albums before the, um, like all the physical stuff with the leather, leather and the studs came to um, fruition. But for the most part, yeah, when you think of heavy metal, you're talking Judas Priest, man. They, 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 they made it.
1: Yeah right. I can I can see that because you think about bands before that you know a lot of people look at Kiss you know and say eh, it's rock but it's not metal you know you look at, at Sabbath yeah it's it's heavy heavy rock you know it's real dark but I don't know if that's metal you know Zeppelin I don't think people call that metal so what band finally did come around when people say that's a metal band you got to say Judas Priest I would think
3: Yeah they I think they wanted to brand themselves as that I will take um not that I'm going to argue with you, but I, I, I view hard rock and heavy metal as this big tree. And right. I still want to call Led Zeppelin a metal band. I still right. want to call Sabbath and even Aerosmith a metal band. Yeah. yeah, maybe they've got their blues roots and their glam roots and even Kiss. You know what I mean? I, I find it insulting, even Def Leppard, that don't want to be called a metal band. Right. Like, you know what you guys, pull your head out of your asses. You know what I mean? Yeah. You guys certainly were a metal band when Pyromania was like the biggest thing on the planet and you had Crocus opening up for you and blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? I just want to call it heavy metal. End of story. It just ends the debate, but that's right. just my opinion. Nice. I like that.
2: So if we're going to go chronologically, um, well, they were obviously, the, the band initially was formed in 1969, but for all intents and purposes, I, w- I would like to start in 74 with uh, rock which was the first album with Halford, You know, because Al Atkins was in the band before that and then he left the band and then Halford comes in. So, rock a Roller comes out in uh, 1974. A lot of the songs were written before Halford shows up, and um, it was produced by Roger Bain, who produced, as we were just talking about, Sabbath's first three albums. Right. Um, they slept in a van during the summer while they were recording this. I've, I've heard numerous interviews with them talking about just, you know, imagine waking up to a broiling hot van every morning and then going into the studio. That's hardcore.
0: Yeah, they were broke.
2: And... um I guess they had a lot of problems with uh, Roger Bain uh, as far as the direction of the album goes because he vetoed songs like Victim of Changes and Tyrant. Wow. So, I mean, that really says something right there because it, it could have been a heavier album than it really was because its I, I always got the impression this was a bit of a hippie-ish kind of a progressive rock album.
1: Eh, maybe in the way that you look at them, the way they looked back then, the way they dressed because this was way before, you know, the metal and the studs and the leather and all that stuff. You know, you look at some of that early stuff, they look like hippies. Yeah.
3: You guys um, made the point of direction, and do you really think they even had a direction back no. then? They just wanted to make a record. Yeah, right. you, know, you, you know what I mean. You play that back to back, even with um, "Sad Wings" or "Sin After Sin." It's like night and day. It is. It's it really a very is. blues based, like down-tuned. They complained about the production on the album. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's 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 a beautiful thing. But um, it's probably the furthest from their vision of heavy metal.
0: That's yeah.
1: sure. right. I mean, but it's good in its own right. You know, it's, it may not be your quintessential quintessential thought of what you think of when you think of Judas Priest. But on its own right, it's still a damn good album.
3: Yeah, no, I agree. Agreed. It's still out of dark moments, um, very doomy and depressing um, I think a lot of blues influence as well. And if, if you yeah. take a look at some of the old "Gray Whistle Test" videos that are on YouTube, yeah. it's it a, that. a snapshot awesome. of where those guys were at. Yeah. And um, as you said, it was it was it was years before. Um, the leather and the studs would come out but still it was it was part of their history so i don't even think direction even comes into play yeah. it was just their first record this is what they wanted to do in 1974
2: yeah you're kind of looking at a band that's kind of an infant at the time right you know trying you to know because you look feet. at the whole
1: picture of what a great and and varied evolution that this band has taken it's got to come from a humble place you know and that's yeah. where it starts
2: and you know and they had uh john hinch playing drums for him on this album and then Right after the album is, is finished up, they they fire him because Glenn Tipton said he was musically inadequate and yeah. which which would begin a series of drummers throughout, you know, especially during the seventies. Um, do, do you know anything really about John Hinch or what he did after this, Tim?
3: You know what? Honestly, I do not. Yeah, I don't I do either. Not. It got me there, man.
2: Yeah, I don't I'm not sure. And then the you know, of course the album cover has the bottle cap artwork that looks yeah. like Coca Cola. Rock a roll. Yeah, and I I read something about there being a lawsuit or something. Had, like, originally, the artwork was intended for a Rolling Stones album that never got released. I don't. Does anyone? Yeah, even... no. Apparently, I'm just
3: surprised Coca Cola didn't step in and kick their asses. Yeah. Like, Yeah. skull or whatever. I'm just surprised that that would get released with with that kind of artwork.
2: Yeah, and most of the songs um, were not performed by Priest after the mid to late '70s. But I did read that uh, Halford performed "Never Satisfied" during a 2003 tour. But the, wow. other than that, they don't play it so um it's, it's yeah on Epitaph, you know. right when
3: they were doing a song from every um every every album they did never satisfied
2: oh they did okay
3: but yeah for the most part this stuff is rarely heard yeah so i, I always view some of these lost gems as new releases because hey if you've never heard it before it's like a brand new record in your head
0: yeah right? yeah, yeah. So and all- i'm
3: talking old like young fans that have never heard this album Go out and pick it up and listen to it from start to finish because you're going to hear the roots of one of the greatest bands of all time. Yeah,
2: Hell yeah. And I'll, you know, and as, as I said before, we went on, Mike. I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a casual fan of Judas Priest. I, I owned uh, Screaming when I was like 14 and I loved it then. And I, you know, I'd get into the radio songs, but I never like delved deeply into the catalog. So in preparation for our talk today, I started listening to everything and started checking. And I checked out Rocker Roller from start to finish. I was like. This is actually pretty good. I'm actually more of a fan after really giving the catalog a shot because there's way more to this band than what you've heard
1: on the radio. Yeah, a lot of depth on those albums. Yeah,
2: and uh, so then 76 comes up. They released Sad Sad Wings of Destiny on March 23rd, 76. They were struggling really financially at this point because they were on Gull Records. And Gull Records could not support them because they just they didn't have enough money to give them any support. Yeah, Gull who? Gull, yeah, Gull <laughs> Records. Like I can't ed-
3: even think of another band on Gull Records. I'm sure no. they've had no. a couple, but who knows? But yeah, they. they it was kind of like the um, the Beatles situation when they were on um, like the. You know what I mean those those early labels where. You know what I mean? It's, it's very forgettable, but I guess priests signed their life away with those first two records, so I'm sure Gull made a lot more money than the <laughs> band did.
0: Yeah,
2: they did, because yeah, they ended up losing everything later. But um, The cover art was by a guy named Patrick Woodruff, and he also, I saw notably, he did design for Budgie's Bandolier album that came out in 75, which is an interesting album cover. Oh, yeah. um, He's good with birds. Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he, the producers were a, guy, a couple of guys named Jeffrey Calvert and Max West, and the only thing I could really find on them was they were members of a pop group called Typically Tropical. So it's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting it's choice. Unforgettable
3: names, right? Right. So that's metal sounding, right?
2: Yeah, well, we go from the guy that did Sabbath's first three albums to two guys from Typically Tropical. It's a strange mm-hmm. mix. Um, of course, uh, Victim of Changes and Dreamer Deceiver, co-written by Al Atkins. Um, Great songs. Yeah, and Dreamer Deceiver, you know, that's like Halvard coming into his own with the high notes that he hits on yeah. that song, you know. Um and then I heard only Prelude and Epitaph have not been played live. Uh, Chris Sangarides is an engineer on this album, so this is like one of the first things he ever did, I'm guessing. Hmm. Um, well, well, Tim, what, what are your memories of this album?
3: Well, I, I'm going to go back to your Patrick Woodruff comment because I think the artwork really is striking, and it started to set the tone on the, like the image that Judas Priest wanted to portray. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a very devilish, very... I'm not going to say anti-Christian or satanic or anything, but just just dark and it's foreboding.
1: Badass, um, yeah, it's cool, right? Looking. Right?
3: It was it is obviously a beautiful piece of artwork, and um, I tell you one thing: Al Atkins' bank account is <laughs> probably um, gleaming with the fact that he co-wrote <laughs> "Victim of Changes." <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: yeah, that's a that's an incredible song, and they've you know they've used that song to their advantage numerous times through the years. You know, it's it's. Well, I guess I'd say that's Al Atkins's crowning achievement. I would say. I mean- yeah,
3: no, absolutely. But as I was as I was mentioning before we got on the air, the um, due to my age, I was I was about seven when Rock and Roll came out, mm-hmm. and so Unleashed in the East was probably the album that really introduced me to a lot of these songs. And even to this day, everyone says it's Unleashed in the Studio. I really, whatever. Yeah. To me, <laughs> they all are. All, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. To to me, like that has had like. The the live versions of all these songs have had the most long-lasting impression and I still to this day would prefer to hear them live. Because when I went back to the studio, I'm like, God, there's just something missing. And I'll tell you one thing, Victim of Changes" from Unleashed in the East has to be maybe one of my most played and favorite songs of all time. It Mm. really is classic. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? And there's actually four songs from Unleashed for, from um, Sad Wings of Destiny on Unleashed. So it was really like, like to, to jump from rock and rolla to that record, as yeah. you say with Tyrant, Genocide, The Ripper. Yeah. Like, give me a break! Like that was a huge, huge leap. Don't you agree? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, totally.
2: Well, it's almost like I, the band might probably be like, let's just discount rock and rolla and consider this our first album. You know? Cause, yeah, truly. Because well, it was more. This was more of the direction they would go in. You know, yeah,
1: it's almost like two different bands. Yeah,
2: well, it was, yeah, absolutely, and it also, you know, and you know, I hate to bring it up again, but like the early stuff, like they were still a progressive rock element to some of their stuff, but like, and then once you get past Stained Class, it just kind of goes away. Yeah, it's I like we're going to be it, nothing but metal. The beginning
1: there, there's a little more Zeppelin influence yeah. on it, and then later on, they're they're kind of finding their own and creating their own metal. Right at that point,
2: but um, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a killer album, you know, and, and it's. I don't know. I, I don't. This is considered well. Tim, you're a diehard. Is, is this considered like a fan favorite?
3: Yeah, no question. But I think it's it's certainly it's overshadowed by some of the '80s stuff, right? You know yeah. I mean? It's it's like screaming and um, defenders, right? Um, but still, I think it's still vital. But as I say, I I don't think I'm alone stating the fact that a, a lot of fans really were reintroduced to some of these songs from that live album, right? right. Yeah,
1: You know, and you talk about the live album, and I think, you know, as, as Chris and I are big Kiss fans, you know, you kind of get that feeling like off of a live, where you, exactly. you hear some exactly. of the versions. That's a
3: great, great comparison. Mm.
1: And it's because the bands are so strong live yeah. that it's almost, it's almost difficult to capture these guys in the studio with the bombast and the power that they exude when they're playing live. You know, Ju- Judas Priest falls into that perfectly, sure. just like
2: Kiss. Yeah, they're meant to be played in a loud arena.
1: Right. Yeah, so, exactly.
2: Yeah, because there's always, like you said, there's so, there's always kind of something missing as far as the crunch of uh, of what you hear when you, you hear them live. Yeah. Um. So then 77 comes something around. Spontaneity of it, you know. They do uh, Sit After Sandwich comes out April 23rd, 77. This is the first of 11 consecutive gold albums. They have uh, Simon Phillips drums on this album who – Ended up going on to play with Jeff Beck, Tears for Fears, The Who, and Toto. Wow. So there's a connection for, to Judas Priest to Toto in one degree.
3: <laughs> well, so, what about Joan Baez? <laughs> and Joan Baez. Wow. I, was, I hadn't got to that yet. Um,
2: one degree of insanity. Right. Les Binks ends up getting hired on as the full-time drummer. He's good. He could, I like Because he could recreate Simon Phillips' parts. Um, yeah, yeah. Diamonds and, Diamond and Russ is a cool song. And then, I love it. Um, dissident aggressor, you know, may have been the heaviest song released at that point. You know, because I don't recall anything earlier than that being anything any heavier than that. It's freaking well, heavy.
3: You look at some of the Sabbath stuff. You know, well, what I mean? yeah. give, me, give me electric funeral over dissident aggressor. You think so? Right? I don't. Oh, absolutely. There yeah. was, and even we're talking seventy-seven. So sabotage came out. You know what I mean? Before that,
2: yeah, so you've got half, and half
3: of that record is. You know what I mean? Symptom of the Universe. Yeah. So that's kind of silly. Although I Slayer already, thought it was a good song and they covered it, right? Yeah, I can I can already see <laughs> the
1: Hailstorm recently covered that one too. Yeah, they did. It did a really
3: good yeah, version that's right.
2: of it. I can already hear the emails coming. You're a fucking idiot. So um, yeah. So uh and then Center would go on to become a concert staple, and I read that that's one of KK's favorite songs. Yeah. Um, this, it's a great song this was the last album because I'm kind of an artwork nerd this is the last album to use the gothic cursive font before they came up with the one that they ended up sticking with
1: and a scary album cover I mean that yeah. that is a hard rock heavy metal album cover right there you look at that and say this is evil looking right it's it's a building you know it's gates or whatever it is but it's, but it's scary but it was progressive
3: because if you look at yep. the next one it's like we're heavy metal before that. You know
1: what I
2: mean?
3: Yeah. We're debating where we're going to go. The Harley hadn't really come into play yet. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, and I have to give Roger Glover from deep purple, a lot of credit on the production of this album. Cause he produced it and, you know, yeah, it doesn't match up to unleashed in the East sound wise, but I think it's, it stands out amongst their seventies material as some of the, the some of yeah. the hardest stuff that they, you know, the sound is really good on this album, in my opinion. Um, it's weird that they. Oh, that guy should know what
1: he's doing. Well, yeah, he yeah. knew.
2: But uh, you know, it's interesting to note that uh, they ended up touring in '77 across the U.S. opening up for Ario Speedwagon. Now, what the hell did the Speedwagon uh. fans think of think of Judas Priest? You know, it shows how different they were from everybody else. You know.
1: I suppose afterwards, they probably said Ario who.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so so Tim, what are your thoughts on sin after sin?
3: well once again it's um you know what i mean it's 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 a part of their it's 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 a tattoo on them but as i keep mentioning it's a lot of these songs like sinner yeah really it was almost like a step down if you, if you look at if you look at the track listing between um, you know what I mean, in Diamonds and Rust, you really kind of got the discount, any any um, any cover. So if you if you compare Sin After Sin to Sad Wings of Destiny, certainly I think material wise, Sad Wings certainly wins. Yeah, yeah it's, I, it's I take Sad Wings. Song.
1: I mean, like you say, Sinners a great song. You know, Diamonds and Rust is really cool. There's distant aggressors, all right. You know, and there's some other good stuff on there too. But yeah, the album before is definitely better. I and think. also
3: keep in mind when 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 um, when we see these um, certifications, obviously mostly in the U.S. We're talking. This was probably certified gold when Screaming came out, or you know what I mean. It certainly yeah. wasn't certified gold upon release. There's no right.
2: way. Yeah, yeah, they weren't. They weren't. Ta- they weren't tearing <laughs> are they up for the For Ario
3: Speedwagon, no. Even yeah. I don't even think Ario Speedwagon had their gold record yet. Ario right.
1: Speedwagon probably had no idea who Judas Priest even was. No. They probably just said, "This is going to be your opening band." I'm Like, okay. <laughs> I just got to wonder what they're, are, they're not going to blow us away, are they? Oh no, no, man, you're good. Don't worry.
2: Con-
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> Concert tours were a very different
2: animal back in the seventies because, like, to imagine seeing that double bill—that's a strange bill to have.
1: Imagine if they tried to do that today, what what crazy response would be? Priest on tour with REO Speedway, and people would be like,
3: "What the hell?" It would be called Rocklahoma. Well, <laughs> <UL>, yeah, <laughs> exactly.
2: That's what you. God, what happened to that lineup this year? But anyway, um,
3: kid. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah.
2: So, all right, so 78 comes around, then we do Stay in Class, released February 10th. Love it. Uh, This is the only Judas Priest album to feature writing contributions from all five members. Uh, The first album that they did that dented the Billboard 200, it landed at 104. Um, Invader is like the latest songwriting credit for Ian Hill. Yeah. So one of these days he's going to write another song.
1: And it's going to be damn good yeah. just like that one. <laughs> he's he, It takes a while. You know, this, some of these things have to ferment. You know, yeah. you got to give it time. Yeah. And then uh, Beyond the Realms of
2: Death is credited to, well, partially credited to Les Binks, which is a rare thing in, a, in the
1: priest camp to have a yeah. drummer writing material. Les Banks wasn't just a drummer, man. That dude was awesome. Yeah. I like that guy.
0: Yeah, so, well, so-
1: Underrated.
2: So, Tim, thoughts on uh, Stay in Class?
3: I think the the main song, of course, we can get into the whole suicide thing and blah, 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 blah. Not to, you know what I mean? Someone died. But the died, cra- crazy but, thing about uh, that was it, it happened so, so much later. That. Go ahead. Sorry.
1: The crazy thing about all that was that it happened so much later. It wasn't yeah. like this album came out. I think a lot of people hear that story and think the album came out and these guys did that, you know, right on the spot. But this was a song that in an album that came out many years before that actually took place.
3: Yeah. It was even a cover song, too, right? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it was a
2: Spooky Tooth song. That's right.
3: Nobody died when they were listening to Spooky Tooth. So why the hell would these fans? I mean, it's certainly other um, things that have nothing to do with Judas Priest. But to answer your question, I think Exciter. Now we're talking about heavy things in the '70s. Yeah. That song certainly sticks out. Once again, I think it's it's much better live. But like that is a speed metal song. I can just hear Dave Lombardo listening to that, like those double bass fills. You know what I mean? That is yeah. a way to kick off an album.
0: Yeah,
2: absolutely.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of guys like along that vein of really, really heavy rock that probably crank put that album on, cranked it up and said, "We want to do something like this." You know your your bag Daryls of the world and, and yeah, such, well, know. and
2: by comparison, this was the era of disco and also bands like the Bay City Rollers, and then you've yeah. got Judas Priest doing Exciter, which so um, you know
1: that's I'll take it.
2: Yeah, I'm guessing you know Priest fans back in those days were definitely a different breed of folks, you know, because like the pop music was really pretty much at its peak at that point for the '70s with disco and everything. So you know they hadn't quite broken through huge yet, but they were starting to build an audience, especially in America, thanks to touring with REO Speedway. <laughs> but, and uh, I, still, I, think it's,
3: I still think it's a mediocre record. I still don't think it's a better album than Sad Wings of Destiny, track for track, song really. for song. It really, you got to wait to the next album.
1: Yeah. It yeah, really This is
3: one's good, path. but you're right. Yeah. It's grown songwriting wise and blah, 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 blah.
1: Yeah, and
0: before
2: we get off of Stay in Class, the art design was by a Polish guy named Roslaw Zabo who he created the new logo this was the birth of the new oh, logo oh yeah this and, was
1: the first time
2: and um, you know he would later on he would do a number of albums for them but he also most notably did british steel which we'll get to but that's a you know one of the most iconic album covers of all time oh, shit yeah yeah so the you know i stained Class, my opinion i think it's a great album i don't know that i kind of agree with you maybe sad wings had stronger original material cuz you know yeah. they did tend to lean on covers at times but White Heat, Red Hot, I think, is a really un- underrated song. I, you know, I, I think that's a great track. But um, it is a good album overall. Um, so then, seventy nine, they come around with an album that has two names, and which, <laughs> oh yeah, it depends on where you live. where you live. Yeah, so you know, Killing Machine comes out in the in the UK, and Hellbit for Leather comes out in the America. What year was that? Nineteen seventy, actually seventy eight. Not seventy eight. Yeah, seventy eight. Um, August ninth or October ninth,
1: delivering the goods. Uh, mm, one of my favorite pre-songs of all time. That, one of my favorite rock songs. i to say of that might time.
2: be one of the best album opening songs of all time. Yeah. You know. Um this was uh These guys know how to open their albums. Uh, yeah, the Columbia CBS America didn't like the murderous title of Killing Machine, so they wanted no. it changed. Um it's interesting because they they start getting a little wilder with the uh, lyrical stuff. Because "Burn It Up" and "Evil Fantasies" are basically songs about S and M stuff. Yeah. And um, oh, look
1: who's writing them. Yeah. You know what do you want?
2: <laughs> right. Um, I will say there's a bit of a, a mark, a bad mark on here because "Take On The World" is basically like an attempt to do a Weeble Rocky Stadium anthem, and it was later covered by the Human League, and it sounds like it should have just been written by the Human
1: League. Yeah. Judas Priest don't need to be trying to be like Queen. Yeah. Tim, no, what do you, please! do you no. like that
2: song, Tim?
3: Um, well, let me just back up for a second, because I think this album really started to define Judas Priest's sound. But it also, it was almost like they were on the fence. Like, do we want to write songs for radio? Which a couple of, like, you know what I mean? Evening Star, as you say, Take On The World, Before The Dawn. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we've got... Some of these songs that really are mellow and you can sit there and snap your fingers to them or raise your fist in the air. And the other, you really want to get on your Harley and just go crazy, say so like Delivering the Goods, Helmet for Leather, you know what I mean? Burning, like in the Green Man, Alicia, talk about cover, like... Yeah. The way they were able to twist the covers and... Like I love Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Um. I'm not the biggest Joan Baez, um, fan. But you know. But 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 I never heard Fleetwood Mac sound like this. No. And this song has been done forever. And obviously the fans just like, you know what I mean? They just yeah. it was great. Even uh, Running Wild, another song yep. that just sticks out on Unleashed in the East. You know what I mean? This was a great, really vicious heavy metal record with three or four ballads. So was where they misplaced? I don't know. It's strange because there's a lot of records that are coming up. Um that really have this kind of on the fence. Don't I mean, they're not full out painkiller defenders of the faith record. Right. So it's right. quite an in- interesting as, as, um, songwriters.
1: Yeah. See, I always remember Green Manalishi and thinking, what an awesome song, and having no idea that it was a Fleetwood Mac cover. Exactly. Yeah. You know, because the only Fleetwood Mac that I'd ever been exposed to up to that point was my parents had the Rumors album. Right. And so then later on, when it comes out, this is a Fleetwood Mac song. It's like, wait a minute, what? No, how can that even be? Yeah. You know, this this can't be a Fleetwood Mac song. Yeah, well, it was a very... And then
3: you found out that Peter Green was, oh. was with these guys in the late 60s. So, yeah, yeah. 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 Rumors was like like 10 years into yeah. their career. Right, right? yeah.
2: And, the, and the, the peter green era of fleetwood mac if you've never checked it out and you just discount fleetwood mac as the rumors band check that stuff out because peter green was an incredible player you yeah. Know I mean? so yeah there's there is good stuff there if you like the old school fleetwood mac stuff but of course priest took that and made the cover way better That's than the, the thing. original we've
1: been talking about these priest covers and you know every one of these songs that they've taken and done they've totally blown away the originals by making these songs their very own
2: yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like the joke, but I'm just kidding. But um,
1: <laughs> okay, juice. Yeah,
2: the, the uh, this was the last album for Les Binks. Um, it was at 128 on the Billboard 200, and this was also this was the ushering in of the
1: motorcycle, the leather costumes, the studs. So this must have been right around the time they did the tour with Kiss, opening up for Kiss, then right?
2: Uh, was it that was 79? 79.
1: 79. They did yeah, that?
2: they opened for Kiss on the Dynasty tour. Wow. Which. It was Kiss going to their
1: most discoy pop era, and right. Priest being super heavy metal. Again, Priest takes advantage right. of being the opening act for a band on the well on the decline.
2: Yeah, they were because that's a that's an interesting time because it's like I wonder how many old school Kiss fans that loved the first three albums. Went to the Dynasty tour, saw a Priest, and we like, "Well, I'm done with Kiss. I'm, I know. I'm following. I mean, it's priest. it's a
1: fact. I can tell you. My yeah. uncle Bruce did exactly that. Seen Kiss was a Kiss fan. Saw a Priest open up for him. Said this Kiss stuff is for little kids now. Yep. I like Judas Priest.
2: Yeah. So I mean, that's. I mean, Tim, what do you think of that?
3: You guys are bigger Kiss fans than I am. I'm a bigger Judas Priest fan.
1: (laughs) Oh, you were there, huh?
3: Yeah, right. No, I'm. you know what I'm kind of drawn to with this whole Killing Machine thing? Yeah. Is um, that Columbia, somebody at Columbia had issues with some of the extreme nature of heavy metal because it was the same label that didn't want to release um, Rain and Blood. Oh, yeah. A few years later. Yeah. So I, I thought I would just throw that into the mix because huh. that's um, interesting. Yeah,
2: right. Yeah, I, I I never even thought of that. That's an interesting twist. I was just they must have been
1: scared of it a little bit, you know. Heavy metal's scary to some people.
2: I don't know. I, they did a song that the Human League did. That's interesting, but I don't know <laughs> in a bad way. Yeah, I just that song that, that talk about sticking out like a sore thumb. That song really does. But um, so then seventy nine comes around. And then Unleashed in the East comes out. And Tim, so this is where you, this is basically your baptism to Judas Priest.
3: Yeah, for the most part. I'm sure I heard some of these albums beforehand, but this one, just, I guess, how old would I have been? 79. So I'm like, you know what I mean? Like mid teens, this really just, really struck a chord. And, you know what I mean? There's like, this thing just flows from start to finish. It arguably could be one of the greatest live albums of all the time. It's up there with Live at Leeds and Speak of the Devil or whatever Kiss Alive. Obviously, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it really. And as we talked about, it's um, it's apparently all all the um, all the audience stuff is, is dubbed in. But no, every every song it's just more vicious. Yeah. We've already talked about how the studio yeah. stuff was is tame compared to this. No, this is, this this definitely was my baptism of fire. And r- literally every song, and even the stuff that they added on the Japanese edition, you know what I mean, um, like the three or four bonus tracks. But no, this, this is a flawless live record, a good snapshot of everything that they had done um, like in the last like seven, eight years. But yeah, just, just brutal, like Exciter Live, as I said, like Victim of Changes, it, it just sent, it still sends a shiver up and down my spine that whole song you know what i mean it's 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 it's, it's a beautiful thing it really is yeah.
1: yeah if you're talking about the best live albums of all time and you don't mention that one there's something wrong with you
3: mm-hmm. yeah yeah you, you've missed it yeah
2: it was, it was recorded in tokyo and you know uh, although from what i've read rob halford said that the music is live but i guess his vocal tracks were ruined somehow getting back over to the states and he had to go in and re-record them in a live setting so, Which
1: I mean, it's it's here or here or there. you I mean, because people say that about Kiss Alive. they say that about Juice Priest, Unleashed in the East, they say it about all these albums that are live. They're all touched up. I mean, face backs, they're all
3: touched up. Yeah, in one I don't way or feel like another. We're, all this, I don't care. Just throw it on, and I'm going to head happily.
2: Yeah, heck yeah. If you feel like you're <laughs> there, then they did their job. Right? Exactly.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: So exactly. Uh, okay, so. And that didn't that went to number seven seventy on bill, the Billboard two hundred. So they're starting to really get a good following going yeah. on there. Um, nineteen eighty, British Steel comes out. Released April fourteenth, nineteen eighty. Recorded at Tittenhurst Park, which was the home to Ringo Starr. Yeah,
1: that's crazy. Um, they didn't cool. even they didn't even use the studio. They just like they went in the studio. Well, they tried the and studio. said we're not getting the sound we want out of here. So they just recorded in various parts of the house. Right,
2: and there's uh. They didn't have, there wasn't like effect sampling back in those days, so they have like smashing milk bottles and breaking the law and billiard cues and trays of cutlery and metal gods. Yeah. And um, this was the first album for Dave Holland, who wound up being their drummer for a long time. Number 30. that crushed
3: me, man. The cutlery when they brought that up on what uh, the the classic album thing. it yeah. crushed me. Oh,
2: did yeah,
0: it? <laughs>
3: it's,
1: it's great because you listen to it and be like, oh yeah, that's totally what that sounds like. But you would have never thought oh, that originally. I don't hear that. Yeah, it kind of wrecks it, <laughs> don't it? <laughs> don't ruin the the mystery. The magic, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see behind the curtain no more. I thought it was
2: interesting that they said that half of the album was written on the spot in the studio. I mean,
1: that's awesome.
2: I mean, that's a, that's quite an amazing feat to, to write that much great material, at, you know, on the spot like that. You know, it's and this was kind of the band, you know, having their identity and their sound solidified. You know, it was. You know, some people would argue this is Judas Priest at their absolute best. I mean, and who produced that one?
3: I don't I don't remember I didn't have I, it. Wasn't it Tom Allen? Yeah, I think that's Tom it. Allen. Tom that's Allen, when he yeah. came into the picture. That's
1: right, it was Tom Allen. I couldn't think of his name. But you know, you think about that and you think about producers of today. Oh, we want we want a siren, you know, or we want some tires squealing. You go on the internet, you find yourself a clip, you download it whatever, you know, and there's there it is. You know, but these guys to make those sounds are the the sirens in Breaking the Law are actually guitars. You know, and like you said, with the cutlery, they had like a big box of spoons and knives and forks, and they're shaking it around to make noises. This is production. It's an art form. You know, back when they're making albums like this, it's it's a pure art form of, of total creativity. You know, I think that that's what makes this such an amazing album.
2: Yeah. Tim, what do you think of this album?
3: There's there's a cool kind of Canadian U.S. connection with with this particular release, and maybe I might have lied to you because Unleashed and These was my first real taste. Um, my mom's side is from the U.S., and a lot of them live um, in Illinois. And we have um, we used to have family reunions in Michigan um, for a number of years. And I remember distinctly one of my cousins who was about my age this was the record that he was fond of and it was probably a cassette or an A track or something back then. And that was probably one of my first tastes of, of these guys. And yeah, it, it, this really is just, just like unleashed. It really is a tattoo on me. I remember it as plain as day, but as I mentioned, it's kind of like one of these on the fence things because there's a couple of radio things. This really is the album that like some say like, this is, this is like, this is, Judas Priest at the top of their game, yeah. but you've got rapid fire and like rapid fire, especially like that is a speed metal song sure, years yeah. before, not maybe not years, but it's like two or three years before the Slayers, Anthrax, Anvils, Venoms of this world. You know what I mean, that was just a vicious, vicious song. Yeah. And then you had breaking the law and of course, living after midnight. I remember, um, my, with my dealings with Iron Maiden, <clears throat> and obviously we're talking about two iconic metal bands. Mm-hmm. But one of them really struck a chord and became more famous in the U.S. and that was Judas Priest. And you know why? Because they had radio on their side. Yeah. Maiden didn't really connect with radio until even and Run to the Hills, right? Yeah. And even Run to the Hills certainly is not. Um, it, it certainly didn't get the airplay like Living After Midnight did. Yeah. So well, Judas Priest, as I say, day. they're kind of on the fence, writing some poppy radio songs. So someone in that camp just had you know what I mean the, the famous any famous radio single has that snap you know what I mean from my from all my history of radio you know what I mean it has that swing that you yeah. can kind of dance to it and living after midnight I'm not t- telling I'm not s- saying that Judas Priest were a disco band but it just had <laughs> that swing you know what I mean yeah. and radio clicked on it and really Priest never looked back and even you've got another thing coming the same thing right they had radio hits but this record you know what I mean yeah, it just it was to the top. But I tell you, another vicious song, and I was so happy when they played this from start to finish because Steeler is one of my favorite Judas yeah. Priest songs of all time. And that block at the end of that song, that minute, you know what I mean? Metallica Slayer, all these, all the the big four can't even come close to that.
2: Well, that's where a lot of that's <laughs> that's, where that's what inspired from. a lot of it. I'm sure, yeah. right?
3: Like it was yeah. huge.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And well, you know, I have to ask you though because you were you were in, you were involved with you know, following this band heavily at the time. What was the reaction to songs like Living After Midnight? Was there a diehard fan base that was like, Oh my God, they're well, selling even, out and writing about partying. Well now. even
1: like United has got kind of that, you know it's yeah. it's not thrash metal and it's You know, it's so eclectic on these albums, right? Yeah. You
3: tell by what they came up with next that there must have been a little bit of backlash. Yeah. Just a just a a tiny bit of backlash on with this record, and there was even like a little bit of reggae on um, the rage, right? That was yeah.
2: Yeah. It's a well, yeah, because it's them stretching a bit, and then you so the nineteen eighty one. And they put out Point of Entry, and this will probably piss a lot of people off. This might be my favorite Judas Priest album. Yeah, yeah. I know. And there's a lot of diehard fans one. that are like, "Oh, that's not metal enough." And, well, I'm more. I guess I'm more of a hard rock fan than a metal fan. But I like the fact that they did a much more melodic and commercial sound with it. It comes out February 26, 1981, and you know the change in sound was probably likely to all the airplay that Breaking the Law and Living yeah. After Midnight they got. They made them.
1: some money off those songs. And
2: love turning you know, and I love the song turning circles even though it's not really a metal song um, all the way almost sounds like a precursor to hair metal to me yeah and on the run sounds like it could be an old school Aerosmith song so I mean they really stretched out on point of entry and in my opinion I thought it was for the better but that's just me as a personal as a casual fan I'm sure hardcore fans probably may not have liked this one as much as the other stuff
3: Chris I'm gonna viciously agree with you oh really nice love this record i thought you would give me shit there's a lot of real cheesy stuff but like it's you know what i mean hot rocking and the video is really hilarious oh god um (laughs) no like all the way on the run probably two of my favorite songs of priest ever would be solar angels and desert plains just like if there was progressive music in judas priest those would be two songs that would fit under that banner no this is a a really yeah fans of course call this a sellout record. And it's just one of the lulls between you know what I mean going from a cello to being going from a you know what I mean it, it's it's kind of like the the change from defenders to turbo right, right. it was like what yeah. the hell happened no but this I love this album it really is classic well you
2: know and it's like if if you want to call this a rock record fine but they made a great rock
0: record you know so yeah, right?
1: exactly. you know that's the one thing about Priest, too these guys you know and I appreciate that they're they're experimental and they're they're willing to try new and different things but at the end of the day, it's always still Judas Priest. You know, there's, there's, they're not going so far out of the box that you can say, this don't even sound like the band that I know. Well, a couple you know, of years later. Well, yeah, <laughs> okay. we'll,
2: we'll get to that. We'll
1: get to that in a minute.
3: I always think of bands like, um, like when big bands kind of, like they get into their own little bubble and they surround themselves with yes men, um, kind of like Metallica with Load and Reload, like those, right. those crappy years where... They like Lars didn't want to hear about, like, you know what I mean? It's just it was it was just the four of them in the room, and this is what they're going to create. Judas Priest did the same thing, but I think they succeeded. They didn't really care what was going on outside of the scene. They were in their bubble, but in their bubble, they still created greatness. Maybe that's why they stand head and shoulders above a lot of other bands that are classified hard rock and heavy metal.
2: Well, that's a good point because I mean, even if. Even if it seemed like they were playing the game a little bit, they were still putting out quality material. Right. Yeah, exactly. so you know, they're
1: going to have their radio singles, but the backtracks are all going to be heavy as hell. Yeah,
2: they never totally abandoned metal. Um, so then they, but then they come roaring back on July seventeenth, eighty-two, with screaming for vengeance. And as Unleashed in the East was kind of your first, you know, baptism into the band. This was mine, and I didn't, of course, I didn't buy this album until like eighty-nine. I bought it in a mall. I thought the album cover looked cool, and I was like, I've heard of Judas Priest, and I bought it, and I listened to the hell out of this album. I I spent a whole summer listening to this album basically on repeat, and uh, I gave my Kiss albums a break for a summer to listen to this <laughs> album. And, um, the you, of course, they had their huge radio breakthrough with You've Got Another Thing Coming, huge, yeah. huge hit. Uh, this album has sold over five million copies. It went double platinum. They recorded it in the of Spain, and I can only assume for tax reasons. Um, it's hev- of course much heavier in style and direction than Point of Entry. Yeah, it was number seventeen in the Billboard Top 200. It was the and another interesting fact factoid I dug up. This was the first entire album released as downloadable content for a video game for the Rock Band and Rock Band Two games. Oh wow! And um, and of course I have to pull it back to Kiss. Take These Chains was written by Bob Halligan Jr. and he also helped Kiss write some stuff for Hot in the Shade. Hmm. So right. I have right. to I have to put a Kiss fact in here somewhere. Um, you got another thing coming. Was actually a last minute addition to the album. They buried were, on the second side. Yeah, like, they were
3: fully buried.
2: They were happy with the album and they were even doing mix down at the time and they were like, "Should we do one more song?" And they, that's how it happened. Wow. You know. And um, during the tour, they were supported by Crocus, Iron Maiden, and Uriah Heap. Nice. Which is interesting. But this is a huge album, and it's a great I'd album. I'd buy a ticket for that if the tour came around today. Yeah.
3: yeah I, I'd be with you, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: and I still think the, uh, the transition from the Hellion into Electric Eye is one of the greatest moments mm. in metal history. I just Hell yeah, it is. That, that, that's one killer combination of music right there. That was
1: one thing when I was younger and I worked at the radio station that I really, really respect about my program manager is that when he put that on, he put them together. Right. I always thought, well, you have you, to. That's kick-ass.
2: So, Tim, what are your thoughts on Screaming for Vengeance?
3: I just can't believe that a band who have, you know what I mean, just look at the output um, before this and the quality and then like to, to continue to, you know what I mean? And here's the next level. Right. Um, even the ballads on this record are heavy, like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, and I agree with you guys. The Hellion is to Electric Eye, and you can't forget Rotting on the Wind because right. I'm looking yeah. at my iTunes, all those songs are all together, seven minutes and 31 seconds. Probably right, the most elegant, attention-grabbing intro ever yeah. in hard music, metal, whatever you want to call it. It really is this like, wow. These guys are on fire. Nobody's gonna touch us. Like it was just, you know what I mean? The, these are the kings of heavy metal at this time, and I'll never forget because they um, they were one of the headliners. They were on Heavy Metal Day on the U.S. Festival, right? Yep, let's, this let's, let's, is you know what I mean. So they're playing in front of like a half a million people. Oh, you no, know, yeah. this is a beautiful thing. The artwork. Uh, I remember talking to Halford about this um, when when uh, the anniversary came out. A while ago, um, the artwork Columbia—you know what I mean—they ran with this artwork, and every every rec every record store had the screaming for vengeance. You know what I mean? That yellow—it just really looked great. No, it was it, this was a beautiful moment in in, so in that history, that even to really this popped, day, man. and it still sounds fresh. But as I said, like Bloodstone, take these Chains, Some of the more mellow moments, no, every, like every like all the planets were aligned for Judas Priest on this record. But I even think there's better things to come.
2: Really, that's a bold statement. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, I guess let's keep on moving. then. So yeah.
2: So okay. So as you, as you mentioned, they they eighty three comes. They they performed you know to like a half million people at the U.S. Festival, you know. And that's a if you get the if you get the uh, Screaming for Vengeance thirtieth anniversary edition, you get a DVD that's like pristine of them playing at the U.S. Festival. Nice. It's worth the price alone. I mean, the album sounds great, of course, but yeah, get that because just watching them perform at that festival is great. Um, so then 84, and then they, on uh, January 4th, 84, they released Defenders of the Faith. Also recorded in Ibiza, the, all right, and I have to mention this. The cover art features Metallion, a ram-horned tiger-like <laughs> land assault creature with gatling guns and tank tracks.
1: I want one.
2: And the quote for, for Metallion is, rising from, the dark, rising from darkness where hell hath no mercy, and the screams for vengeance echo on forever. Only those who keep the faith shall escape the wrath of the Metallion,
1: master of all metal. So basically, if you don't listen to the Decibel Geek podcast and you don't get your uh, heavy metal and hard rock news from Brave Words, you're screwed. Yeah, Metallion will come and eat you. You're done. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> He'll shoot you with
2: his gatling guns and run over you with his tank tracks.
1: I want, I want one of those. I would take it. I would drive it to work every day. It looks day. like it
2: looks like Voltron and Optimus Prime had sex,
1: and something totally evil was the result.
2: Right. But uh, so then, uh, and i of note, <laughs> Voltron. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry, I don't know where I come up with shit like that. Um, wow. On the of note is "Eat Me Alive" was listed at number three on the Parents Music <clears throat> Music Resource Center's Filthy Fifteen. It's filthy because Tipper Gore stated the song was about oral sex at gunpoint, and. Um, in response to the allegations, Priest would record parental guidance on Turbo later, which we'll get to in a little bit. Mm. Tipper,
3: um, see you next Tuesday. Oh. Why don't you focus on the beautiful things on this record instead of the negative? Seriously, right. give me a break. This record is just, like, unbelievable. And probably the only time Priest delivered two back-to-back, you know what I mean? Just, like, cranking out heavy metal. There was Like, this is even heavier than Screaming for Vengeance. Maybe, maybe their heaviest record, maybe aside from Painkiller... But no, this, oh, wow. And to come out with Free Will Burning, the awesome video song. as the first single. Who's got balls like this?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, right? well, they didn't go the safe radio route. No, no, definitely not. I mean, Free Burning as a single, that's crazy, you know, compared to some of the other singles they had been releasing up to this point. That's not a radio-friendly song. That is heavy as hell.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And then Bob Halligan shows up again with some Heads Are Gonna Roll, which is also a great song. But yeah, this, awesome. The Sentinel is awesome. I mean, that's
3: progressive. See, that's there's a there's a good example of progressive metal. What a beautiful piece of another beautiful moment in Priest history. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, it's a good album. And then you know, like the album covers, interesting. But they, you know, but so like they go from Screaming for Vengeance, which you know is heavy, a heavy return, then Defenders of the Faith, like you said, they take it up a notch, and then '86 comes around and they release Turbo.
1: Hmm. I gotta <laughs> the wonder thing what was about going this on is there. Turbo is actually was the first Priest. I guess cassette at that time that I really truly, you know, at that, that time. Now, now, going back, I love all this other stuff. Yeah. But at the time, that was my real first true introduction to Priest.
2: Yeah, and this was released April 14th, 86, recorded in Nassau, Bahamas. Maybe they were just too comfortable in the Bahamas, and that's why it came out like yeah, it did. Yeah, you're on the beaches um, of
1: Spain, down to the Bahamas. They that's were nice. The,
2: they were the first band to use the rolling guitar synthesizer, and they used it to a heavy extent on this album. Yeah. Um, the lyrical content's markedly different, with a lot of emphasis on... You know, They're qu- a hair band. Yeah, beca- yeah, they basically wanted to play the game and be a hair band like Motley Crue. And it had mixed reviews, obviously. And um, although the funny thing I noticed in interviews is they say that the fans basically go ape shit whenever they play the title track live. Yeah. So it's like uh, maybe it's their music it's from the Elder song, or though, something. You know. Um, but another interesting thing was that uh, Reckless was asked to be on the movie soundtrack for Top Gun. But the band turned them down because they thought the movie would flop and that would meant leaving the song off the album. I'm glad Priest knows more about metal than they do films. Right. My opinion on this album, I think it was, they probably thought they were being very forward thinking and, and at the time and, you know, current, but it sound, now it sounds completely dated. Yeah. I just, I, I'm not a fan of this album. It has its moments, but it's, it's just them trying to play the game in my opinion.
3: I have a great story because I agree with you. I think it's a dud. Um, Production-wise, yeah, not bad. But, yeah, very cheesy, very, you know what I mean? Even their look. They yeah. went from the, these Harley dudes all greasy. They got rid of the grease, right, and, and exchanged <laughs> them for hairspray. You oh, Look yeah. at all the videos that were done.
2: That yeah, KK um, looked like he could have been in Rat or something. Yeah.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. But I tell you one thing. <laughs> Um, we've attended a lot of the European festivals for a number of years, um, and Vakken probably being like the icing as one of, one, of, one of the finest in Europe. And I tell you, we saw Priest, it was not last year, maybe the year before. It was the Epitaph tour. It was obviously they were one of the headliners. And when they played Turbo Lover... I don't think I've ever seen an audience go ape shit in like ever for a song. And I was telling Rob this after the fact and how a song that you it it bastardized these guys like it was just like one of the worst career moves in metal history and how can you go to the other side of the coin where now when you play it it is the highlight of your show. Right. And like, like guys, if you were like in the middle, there was like a hundred thousand people and when they kicked into Turbo Lover, it was shocking. <laughs> it was it was everyone was dancing and the lighters in the air. It was hilarious. I mean it's kinda so, It's, it's got just that. funny how music kinda of changes a tune over time.
2: Well, I can I can compare that to my first KISS concert was the Hot in the Shade tour in nineteen ninety and they decided after not playing it for like 11 years to break out i was made for loving you and i'm sure they were probably scared to death to play it they play it and the whole crowd just goes nuts yeah. and i was like and i was like this was a disco song that they wanted to bury for 10 years and all of a sudden it's a hit again
1: but you kind of got to finger figure at both you know sides of this with kiss and with pre-steven you know at the time, you know, they seem a little cheesy. Now they seem a little dated. But at the core, there are some really great songs, you know. And really, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, you know. And talk about other great songs on there that may sound a little dated today, but I loved Parental Guidance. I mean, that was a song at my age when I was, you know, and my hormones are just starting to go crazy. That's what I love to hear. And I don't want my kid to hear that song. Yeah. Although, I don't know, Wild Nights Hot and Crazy Days,
2: that was a that was a Hairband era song if there ever was one.
1: And and really you look at the album, they really kind of all were, but in that own in that respect, they're still great songs. Yeah. I mean, they You did, know, on poison standards, these are great songs. Sure. I would rather listen to
2: Turbo than look What the Cat dragged in. <laughs>
0: yeah. Exactly.
2: <laughs> I'm right,
1: right? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> they're all pretty good. I like it all.
0: Yeah, they're
2: good. So Tim, Tim. So overall, you're not a not a big fan of this album.
3: No, but like, no, I don't. I don't mind parental guidance. I'm certainly not gravitating to um, to this record. But as I say, even to this day, if I hear Turbo Lover on the radio, it it just it's a great driving song. Yeah. It really is. It was a sellout, and obviously with with what they came up with after the fact, they yeah. realized that they were just wow. Well, and it was a, it was a big mistake, but.
2: It's kind of one of those things where, if you want to be objective about it and you and you're you know being serious and you listen to it and you're like, man, that sounds just like the '80s. And then, yeah. but you're driving along one day on a long road trip and you hear it, and you're like, this is awesome. It sounds like the '80s. Right, so it, yeah, it just depends on what mood you're in, I guess. But '87, um, I don't, I don't want to gloss over it completely. But Priest, they put out Priest Live released june 21st 87 recorded of course important to me because i was living there at the time the omni in atlanta georgia and not i wasn't living at the omni i was living in atlanta (laughs) um and uh reunion (laughs) arena in
1: dallas texas in the Um, alley behind the omni yeah
2: of note the it contains no tracks from the 70s albums which is interesting but i overall i think it's got really good sound for a live album from the 80s it's it's pretty good album Anybody else feel any
1: one way or another about it? It's a live album by Priest in the 80s. You yeah. don't have none of their old good 70s stuff.
2: Yeah. I, I got mean, it on
3: vinyl, but I, you know what I mean, when it came out, it kind of went, you know what I mean? Yeah. It just went, yeah. I, I, it got filed.
2: It was just something to release in 87, probably.
3: Yeah, exactly. Fill a hole so you don't have to tour for that year.
2: Sure. So then 88 comes around and they uh, released Ram It Down, released uh, May 17th, 1988. Glenn Tipton views this as a very underrated album for the band. It was the last album with Dave Holland, and uh, he's only on parts of the album because he had a health problem at the time. And they ended up using a drum machine for a lot of the stuff.
1: That's just wrong. Yeah, it's just wrong.
2: The uh, the title track goes all the way back to the British Steel era, which is probably why I like it. Um, I don't know, guys. I mean the the song "Heavy Metal" and the idea to use Johnny be Good at the single. Just I ugh, I don't I don't like those at all. "Hard as Iron" could have been an awesome song without the drum machine. Um, I don't know. I just I don't care much for this album at all.
3: I think it's pretty overlooked, but um, for the most part, just because of two songs—the title track—and um, let's uh, um, discount the fact that it was a drum machine and "Hard as Iron." Both those songs are, are, are quite vicious. But yeah, as I said, "Johnny Be Good." You know what I mean? It's whatever. Do we really want to hear that? It was like it was Hollywood kind of creeping in? I, and probably one of the most overlooked Judas Priest records, though. But those two songs stick out to me for sure.
1: Aaron, what do you think of this one? Uh, Judas Priest and Drum Machine—it's just wrong. Yeah, I don't. I will, I do not accept it.
3: I don't know.
2: And it's like, who the hell decided Johnny B. Good would be a great singer? Yeah, it's not I a mean, good idea. Either. That is a terrible.
1: You think about idea. all the great covers that Priest had done up to that point throughout the years, and Johnny B. Good's just—you know—and it's like Tim said, it's kind of like Hollywood creeping in, going, "Oh, you do this, you're going to get radio airplay. People are going to love it. They're going to love you guys. It's going to be great. Just listen to us, you know."
2: Yeah, I couldn't get into this album
1: much at all, and you know, I even remember when it came out, and I was like, eh.
2: um, Okay, so then uh, they didn't put an album out in 89, but it's worth noting that's when they were first sued over the suicide, packed death in Sparks, yeah, Nevada.
1: They came back from all those years later.
2: Right, and then 90 comes around, they release Painkiller, and a huge return to form.
1: I like this one.
2: Um, released September 3rd, 1990, recorded in France, uh and of course the biggest thing in my opinion is the huge drum sound from Scott Travis, who just got brought in from racer X, Yeah, Absolutely. you know, and the, you know, the first of all well, the first drum beats of the title track, he's just like, okay, this is a different Judas priest than what Ram it down gave
1: us. He has for damn sure.
2: Um, more, I think it was more, more of a thought out attempt to redefine the band sound is heavier. Uh, Ian Hill, he cites this as kind of an influence on new metal. And I can hear that in pieces, you know, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Hmm. Um, Help? I don't hear that, though. I don't? I don't hear that.
3: This is a this is like a speed metal record. Well, I thought that, too, yeah. but I, although
2: I hear little parts, that I can hear a little bit of the new metal influence. Um, Hell Patrol uh, is about a U.S. Air Force pilot flying a mission in the Gulf War, so they were writing a little bit about current trends at the time. Um, and they said the painkiller itself is one of a series of fictional messiahs created by Judas Priest. The painkiller is described as a metal messiah sent to the world to destroy evil and rescue mankind from destruction.
1: So it's so is this he's supposed to fight Metallion? Is that how that works? Maybe or <laughs> they're on the same team? I'm or? not sure.
2: Weird. But uh, although I'm gonna I'm gonna give them some shit later for a newer album because it's a concept thing. But I guess they were always kind of playing around with concept stuffs so even through the '80s.
1: Um, I think Rob Helford always said, you know, when he writes a song he wants to paint a picture, like create a movie in somebody's mind, you know. When they hear the song and hear the lyrics and it it paints a such a strong picture that it, it almost becomes a video in your head. Yeah. Kind of a thing. And you they, know, and that's that goes to their creativity.
2: And they did receive a Grammy nomination for best metal performance for this album. So it's it was them kinda getting back on the map, but then Things would kind of fall apart after this album, so. um But yeah, so Tim, what do you think of about Painkiller? You know what?
3: I, I gotta say, this this may actually be Halford's like peak. When you when you listen to the vocal tracks on obviously Painkiller, yeah. but even like there, there's a there's a lot more deeper stuff on this thing. I love All Guns Blazing, Metal mm. Meltdown, A Touch of Evil is just a beautiful beautiful ballad. esque you know what I mean? It's yeah. it really is classic. But Halford's voice. Wow, and how old would he have been? You know what I mean? At yeah, this time, he was right? well into like, the career. No, this was. Um, it was almost like they reinvented the wheel. Yeah, um, yeah. I got to tell you one thing. T- timing, because I saw this was Operation Rock and Roll, right? That dreaded Sony thing that just like totally like lost millions of dollars. It, it, timing was crucial with this thing because literally, like it was a year before Nirvana's Nevermind. Pearl Jam's Ten, right. and Soundgarden's Bad Mortar Finger. You know what I mean? If this thing came out like a year later, we wouldn't even be talking about it right now. It would, yeah. it would, it would probably be worse than Ram It Down. But yeah, they it, it, it really snuck in before everything caved in. But no, this you and you listen to this record now, it's like it came out yesterday. It is awesome. Absolutely awesome. And they did the, um, the Free Will Burning thing with Painkiller. Like... Who did they think radio was not going to play this song? Yeah. You know what I mean? MTV, you know what I mean? They had, they had peaked years before that. So like really, what were they thinking when they made this video? And this is this is like thrash at its finest. Yeah. I remember it's
1: having like we're a Judas Priest, we do what we want. I remember yeah,
2: yeah I remember <laughs> my best friend at the time when this came out, we would get together every Saturday night and watch Headbangers Ball, and I remember when this video premiered on Headbangers Ball, and me and him were watching it, and I was the Kiss fan. I was into Hairbands and Warrant and stuff like that, but he was into Anthrax and you know heavier stuff than I was. And when he saw, because like they were, like, they kept hyping it up. The new Judas Priest video is about to come out. You know, you know, stay tuned. And you know everything he thought of Judas Priest before this was, oh, the Living After Midnight, and Breaking right. the Law guys. I don't care nothing about that. And then we watched it. And I remember looking at him. His jaw was dropped. He was like, that's the fucking <laughs> au- most awesome video I've ever seen. Nice. Yeah. He And he went out and bought the album and just cranked the shit out of it, became a Judas Priest fan out of it. But, yeah, I, I remember watching him, and he was just like, this is amazing. And I just kept thinking, God, that guy sings high. But um, <laughs> that was just me. But uh, it was – I mean, it's a good album in 1990, and I, I think they probably had a pretty good outlook at the time, and then things start falling apart. But then, of course, the trial begins on um, – July sixteenth and ninety of the whole uh, "Better by You, Better than Me" thing, and uh, it just it really tore the band apart, I guess at the time. And um, well,
3: t- can I just add one thing? Sorry to interrupt you. No, go the ahead. Scott Travis' youthful injection um, really was instrumental on this record. You just got to think in the studio. You've got this this cocky mother, of whatever. You know what I mean? Right. I'm gonna just like you know what I mean. I'm living for the moment, and these guys are just looking at each other, going, "Wow." we got to step it up a little bit, right? Because his presence on Painkiller is a beautiful thing.
2: Yeah.
1: This Uh, guy is a million times better than that fucking drum machine.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Imagine, yeah,
2: if if Scott Travis had played on Ram It Down, I might have liked it a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Yeah. So then the trial happens, and it it's a big deal, and I remember all the, the press reports, and thankfully the judge ruled in their favor, so there is some hope for sanity in this country. Um, but uh, anybody have any thoughts on the whole trial and the subliminal do-it message?
1: I don't know. I mean, it's... I agree with the judge. That's all I can say. Yeah. I mean, it's it's unfounded, it's ridiculous, and it's it's a sad situation because these guys i say guys because everyone says oh they were kids no they weren't kids they were adults you know they were young adults and they made a terrible decision and you know that it doesn't matter if they were listening to a priest or if they saw something on tv or watched a movie you know you can't blame you know it's the same old story as always you can't blame an artist for what an individual does right when they're if they're viewing of it if if that were the case then like we talked about last week you know the beatles should have been should be in prison right along with charles manson but that's ridiculous yeah and it's the same applies here
2: yeah tam what do you think
3: well let me just bring up because uh, i don't want to go out of depth with this but let's bring up a mediocre priest song it's just two words parental guidance these guys weren't hugged enough who yeah. knows what was going through their heads and what kind of supervision and blah 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 blah. But yeah, to point the finger at a metal band or any band, like it's ri- beyond ridiculous. Yeah, it really is beyond ridiculous. The fact that it even got to, like it even escalated to that point, like wow, it um it really just shed a, a very negative light on on like on the on the U.S. system, right? It's it's yeah, it's terrible because uh, who like what lawyer would really have had like you know what I mean to get to that point. to bring a band on trial. It's very sad. I'm sure it was very hurtful. I know Rob, know what I mean? There's scars that will never be healed because of that trial and what they did. And obviously, they're saddened by the fact that... um the two of their fans, one's one's dead, and who knows what the status of the other one is. But know what I mean? Like no band wants to see that. No but right. certainly, no uh, no band wants to get to the next level where they're going to be tried for it. Give me a break.
2: Yeah, they got into this to have fun, you
1: and know? that was the vibe I always got too. That above it all, about how how bad this was and how they got drugged into this whole thing, and they they never asked for any of it. Was the pain of knowing that two of their you know huge fans. Somebody that, you know, in Judas Priest, they love their fans. You know, they you you know it throughout the years, you know, throughout all the things they've done. These guys love their fans, and just to lose two of them like that, I think that hurt them more than having to even be drugged into the trial.
0: Yeah. yeah,
2: and it was, you know, and as I saw an interview. I was doing research last night, and I started watching stuff, a little bit of stuff about it because um, I know we're not going to go at too in-depth on it, but I saw an interview with Rob, and it was just from a couple of years ago, and he says, you know, um, it was a horrible thing, and it was one of the worst times of my life, and I still haven't gotten over it, and I don't think I will ever get over it.
1: I would imagine so, not.
2: It was, uh, it was a terrible, and then you know, and then it was kind of a series of bad things that happened for them because in '91 they're on tour and they were doing the, mi- the motorcycle stunt, and then um, Drum Riser was halfway up in Toronto and he uh, got injured. There. You were I at the there. show.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, Rob got hurt. There. Well, tell us about it.
3: Well, it was shocking to everyone. I said, oh, "My God!" Like here's—he comes out on his bike and then he falls over. You know what I mean? Like it was—it was that Operation Rock and Roll show, and it was just like, wow! All of it, and they, the band kept playing. It was—I um, believe it was breaking the law, but don't quote me. But I, I honestly, I was at that show. Oh, wow. He came back. No, but I even asked him about it later. And he was bruised and a little bit battered, but no, he got back up. and A little embarrassing, but it was just like a technical fuck-up, that's all. Right. Kind of like the Bret Michaels thing when the curtain came down on him, right? right. A little the embarrassing, order. but um, hey, he came back and they, they, they stormed on.
1: Or like Ace Frilly getting electrocuted or anything yeah, else, yeah, you know? exactly.
3: It falls into all those categories. Like David,
1: David Lee Roth hitting him himself in the face with a sword or whatever, you know? These guys... They rock and roll. They uh, keep. They come back.
2: Or getting stuck in the pod if you're in Spinal Tap. But,
1: um, <laughs> I can tell from this conversation today that a lot of the movie Spinal Tap was kind of based on Judas Priest. Well,
2: there, there's, there's elements of all these bands that we love that are in that movie. But, yeah. uh, so then in 92, Halford announces that he's leaving the band. And, uh, you know, I was a casual fan at the time. I was like, in my opinion, in my, when my thought was, well, they're done. Um, yeah, you would think. Tim, what did you think when they announced that?
3: Yeah, it, well, it, it's what came after that with the whole 2 project, right? That was, I think that was even worse than the fact that he was announcing that he was leaving Judas Priest, <laughs> yeah, right? Was, that album was just... Album's to, just yeah. He just wanted to go down a different path. You thought Turbo was bad?
1: <laughs> yeah, he, no I, kidding.
3: And, Trent Reznor, yeah. and I know he laughs about it. We all laugh about it. And I won't throw those CDs out because I'm sure someday they're going to be worth something. Right. But um, yeah, it's just, you know what I mean? It, it's definitely a scar. Um, when, when you look at where the, where the band are right now, it's certainly something that they don't want to bring up and it's it's it really is a dark dark void for judas priest fans um especially like the two records that followed like i don't know it's 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 something that I don't really want to talk about too much. (laughs) Well,
2: uh, but uh, it's
1: one of those things where Rob Helford leaves the band. Now he wants to do, I'm leaving Judas Priest, so I have to do something totally different. Although I
2: will, the two Fight albums weren't that far away. Oh, Fight was awesome. I like, I honestly like those albums. And Helford's
1: Resurrection was really good. Halford's Resurrection. But the two albums? Yeah, Uh -uh. uh, yeah, not so so much.
3: War of of Words. I was in Phoenix. Um, Sony sent us, there was a big shindig that we went down with. Um, we saw a fight live at um, the Mason Jar in Phoenix, uh-huh. um, hung out with the band, did interviews and everything. Yeah, no, the War of Words was a beautiful thing. And as you say, Resurrection was, wow, It's it's it certainly surpasses anything Priest did with Ripper.
2: Right. Okay, so 1995 rolls around. Ripper Owens, Tim Ripper Owens, who's in a tribute band called British Steel, is seen by Scott Travis after he sees him performing in the winter of 95. And he takes a tape to Glenn and K.K. and says, this might be our guy.
1: What a feel-good story this ends up
2: well, being. Well, and and Ripper is, you know, he can pull off Rob's vocals. And he auditions for them and is hired after singing one line in the studio. This sounds just like a movie I've seen.
1: Oh, yeah? yeah. I think I've seen that movie, too. Right.
2: And uh, Judas Priest, of course, doesn't want anything to do with the Rockstar movie because they, they deviated quite a bit from the metal thing and made it more of a hairband thing. Right. But... Um, so Ripper joins the band, and '97 they released Jugulator on uh, October 28, '97. It was recorded in Surrey, England. This was the first of two albums they would do with Ripper Owens, and the lyrics dealt with like harsher themes, and um, it uh, including the uh, Jugulator, which is a mechanized beast which disembowels its prey, and the end of the world in the song Cathedral Spires. Again, um, if you
1: do not listen to the Decibel Geek Podcast or get your rock and heavy metal news from Brave Words, these things are coming after you. Right.
2: <laughs> and uh, the guitars were tuned down. for. They tried to pull off kind of a groove metal sound in this album. And um, another thing is, like, there's a song called Brain Dead. It's written from the perspective of a guy who, after a tragedy, has lost his ability to move and speak and is therefore trapped in his mind, having been placed on life support.
1: That sounds like something maybe... Is that a Metallica song? Exactly. That's <laughs> what I was going to
2: say. Um, it's not, to me, this sounds like Judas Priest trying to fit in with Pantera and Machine Head. Yeah. And I think it works on some songs, but overall, mostly it doesn't.
1: I like Ripper Owens, though.
2: Uh, yeah, he seems like a good guy.
1: That's the whole problem with this thing.
2: Yeah, Bullet Train was nominated for a Grammy for Best Metal Performance. And the thing that I hated the most about this album was all the gang background vocals, like Phil Anselmo style. Yeah. And it was like, that's, real, that's trying way too hard to sound like a new band. And that's, I don't like this album, and I don't like the one after it. But that's, that's my opinion.
3: Um, I will violently agree with you, because <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. I'm as hurt by this as I was when Blaze came in. To maiden,
1: yeah. I I'm heard a little big, more by that. I was that. a big
3: Wolfsbane fan, yeah. But you don't you know what I mean. And, and this is actually a different example because Blaze couldn't. He's not the air raid siren, but no. Ripper was fairly close to Halford, yeah. But both these albums, um, we had to cover them. We were working with the labels, um, and it's just I I don't know. I was biting my tongue the whole time. And as I said, like we we did our six pack weekend in Cleveland for three years and that's where Ripper's from, right? So we're, we're right. friends with Ripper. I'm not going to diss him. Um, it's obviously a great thing for his resume. It's a, it, with everything that he's done, Ice Earth and Malmsteen. I mean, obviously this is at the top, but both these records, I could care less about. I haven't even brought them into iTunes. I don't listen to them. I don't want to listen to them. I'm not going to sell them, <laughs> but you know what I mean? I'm, I'm on the same page next
1: now, well, let's just say hypothetically at the time, let's look at this as like the John Karabi Motley Crue thing. Yeah. If if they would have came back and called it something else besides Judas Priest, if they would have came back and said, hey, we're starting this new band. We have a singer. Basically, it's the band from Priest with a new guy. We're going to call the band Ripper. Would that have had a bit better or different effect on these albums?
2: Uh, I don't think so, because I think he sounded too much like Rob to to differentiate. Yeah. If he sounded like somebody completely different than Rob, then yeah. Because Karabi sounded nothing like Vince Neal. Right. So I, I keep
3: in mind, like they were on they went from Columbia to CMC. Right. Yeah, so even right. the labels were like pissing on this whole thing. Right. It's you know what I mean? It was it's almost like um the Eternal Idol, Black Sabbath featuring Tony Iommi. <laughs> like right. It's, yeah. it's it's just it's just a scar and I just it's as I say, next and even the next album, I even I even pay pay less attention to the next to the next album.
1: Well, I listen. I like it. that song, "Burning Hell." Okay, I like that song, and there's a couple other ones. You know, overall, mm, no, yeah, th- I, you know, I agree with you guys, but I think there are a couple of gems in there. I think Ripper Owens is awesome. I think some of the best stuff he ever did was with that that Inge album. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, on his own, I like Ripper Owens stuff. Trying to fit it into what Priest was trying to do at that time it just didn't quite work but well, there were a couple of gems in there
2: well so demolition gets released on july 16 2001 it's got more groove metal type riffs um they have a lot of 80s priest references in the songs and then there's like there's even rapping and samples on this album and it was produced by glenn tipton and he wrote most of the material so I got to just figure this is Glenn trying to do something that fits in with the times. I'm trying to be current. Um, the guitars have a horrible production on them. I mean, it's, it honestly sounds like a DIY project to me. And I know I've got a couple of listeners that I mentioned we're going to do a priest discussion. I've had a couple of listeners say how much they love these albums. So I know you guys are mad as hell right now, and I hope you'll listen to us next week. But um,
1: <laughs> It's not me. It's those guys. Yeah, but, I'm um, with you.
2: Scott Travis gets a co-write on Cyberface. Um, Don Airy guests on keyboards for the first time since Painkiller. And um, I think it sounds like they tried too hard to basically do something that would make every fan of the band from all eras happy. And they missed the mark on every one of them. Okay, look how about the artwork what?
3: blows? Look at the artwork. Give me a break. Yeah, I don't like
2: Well how,
1: how about this? How about the Ripper Owens version of Priest versus the two thing that Rob Helfer did? What do you prefer?
2: Um, a sledgehammer to the nut.
3: <laughs> <right>. <laughs> and and take a look at the writing credits that Ripper has after being with the band like a couple of years. Yeah. Zero. Yeah, I'll give you that. I mean, mm. I feel bad for the guy the, the Chris because Chris Sangarides has more writing credits. The producer, true, yeah. I do feel bad. <laughs> <A> demolition.
2: <laughs> I do feel bad for Ripper though, because I mean, it, he did. He came in and he did what they wanted him to do. I mean, right. I, and they, he did his best. They wanted, and
1: he's in a better place today than if they would have never called him at all. So right.
2: So I don't. I'm not begrudging Judas Priest for giving a shot at doing this, but I just think both those albums are glaring um, statements of how much they needed Rob Halford. I'm not saying yes. That, you know, indeed. he's not the whole band, but at the same time, it doesn't work without
1: him. You see how big of a piece he really was.
3: Yeah. It, 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 this can't be a diss to Ripper because really his best is better than probably 95% of all heavy metal vocalists out there. Right. right? Like he's got so much versatility aside from being the Halford clone or, or next to it, right? He's got a hell of a set of lungs.
1: Yeah, he does. Um,
3: right? That's He's obviously man. doing all the Dio stuff. No, I mean, he can do anything. So, it, really, it's it's just a bad business decision to keep Priest going without Rob Halford.
2: Right. It just was, I don't think it wasn't convincing enough for people, you know? Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, then they, they, they put together this Metallurgy um, box set, which makes Rob have to meet up with the old guys and talk about their whole career so during these discussions they start talking about the old days and start remembering how much fun they used to have and they decide that they're going to reunite and Ripper is let go and then 2005 they come back with Angel of Retribution uh, released March 1st 2005 recorded in England and Sound City which was a big studio in the past year Mm -hmm. as people talked about because of the movie Um, this was top 20 in the US and UK debuted at number 13 in the US excellent production in my opinion by Roy Z. Yeah. Um, numerous references to Old Priest albums and songs Which I think kind of makes it special for the diehards right. um, Because Deal With The Devil is basically like a semi-biographical song it's About the whole songs. band um, Roy Z does a great job on this And it sounds like Judas Priest I mean, this sounds like what you've been missing If you're a big fan of them And I think Angel is one of the best ballad type songs I've ever heard from a metal band you know, <laughs> That's an incredible song
3: Dude, that's the top of my list Oh, yeah? and there's an acoustic version they did for a radio special it is by far it's it beats anything that fucking poison could do it is a gorgeous song and that's you know what i mean this records i don't, it's, I don't really gravitate too much to this album it's it was lovely that they came back with rob but yeah for a ballad to be the top song on this record it kind of you know i mean there's some heavy stuff on this thing but yeah angel really it like, every time i listen to that song it kind of takes takes me away
1: it really does right yeah i i love that song now isn't it kind of funny that you look back on some of these songs like angel and you know ram it down and point of entry and all that stuff and then realizing at you know till later on that rob helfer was gay that these songs were all about dudes <laughs> like angel is actually a song called andrew Does <laughs> that that doesn't faze anybody but me
3: <laughs> I spent a lot of time, when Halford left um, Priest and went on to his solo career, there were, we, had, we spent a lot of time together. And I spent a lot of personal time together with him, like being sent to New York or wherever. Um, yeah, we, we ta- and we talked at great lengths of him coming out and what he would do. You know what I mean? When the band were hanging out with all these groupies and everything. But I, I try not to think about that stuff when um, Angel should be Andrew.
1: <laughs> I've never heard anybody put it that way. Thanks for
3: ruining well, the song. You know,
1: but I'm sure it was ruined before. I mean, it was it's one of the things, you know, and I'm not to say nothing against it or anything like that. You know, I've got a ton of respect for Rob Halford, whether he's in love with Howie Long or not. You know, <laughs> this guy writes fantastic metal songs, you know, and I respect him on that, you know, completely. But it's just, it's always just been one of those funny things that it's like, wow, these songs were about guys.
2: (laughs) I I just, I, when it, when he came out, I I wasn't surprised. And I was honestly surprised by so many people I knew that were surprised. I just, you know, I was just like, well, you know, love who you love. If you're, if that works for you, then more power to you. And now you've
3: tainted me forever because one of my favorite Scorpion songs is called Send Me an Angel. And now, I can send me an Andrew. So you, I'm going to hang up now. <laughs> uh, no, the Scorpions,
1: they were actually singing about girls. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
3: man. Send me and Loch Ness, let me just bring up the Loch Ness is, I, and I even said this to Rob, it's like, why are you doing a song about the Loch Ness monster? But the intro to that song, I don't know it's 13 minutes, yeah. but like first, you know what I mean? The guitars and everything. That is incredible. It actually when is pretty cool. they start talking about the, the actual monster, it kind of goes down another path, really deep deep sea path. But no, great, great, just wow. That's what's priest coming back. Right.
1: Yeah, I like that. It's hard to get into a thirteen minute long epic sometimes, but that one's actually pretty cool. Even though it is about the Loch Ness monster. Right.
2: So they they get uh, into the kind of writing about story stuff at that on that song, and then. Which leads to 2008, and Nostradamus comes out, released on June 13th.
1: What's up with that? This
2: is a concept album that includes symphonic orchestration, choirs. No. Most of it was written no. on keyboards. No. It took two years to write and record. Um, it was their highest U.S. chart entry at number 11. Strange. Um, in my opinion, this comes off like a Spinal Tap album and takes itself entirely too seriously. And I think Persecution is a great track. Um, but the I just this this album does this song album and most of the songs don't do it for me. That I just don't like it.
3: <laughs> I was sent to New York um to cover this record. Sony sent me down. Um I don't even think it was an overnight thing. But um and hopefully the band is not listening because it was a great interview session. Actually, with with Rob, KK, and um, and even Jane Andrews was was there. It was the first time I'd ever met her. Um, but I tell you, I was so I was forced in um, quotation marks to hear this album from start to finish. And as I say, I hope the band's not listening because really that is the last time that I listen to this record. And it's something I kind of something I may regret because in God knows how many years time when I'm terminal, I want someone to actually put this record on again because maybe there's something in there because at the time, nothing stuck out. Um, I'm not gonna sit here and shit on it, but I'm also wasn't one just to go revisit it again because yeah, there's something wrong with the whole concept album with Judas Priest, I don't know. I don't know. I, was, I think
1: it's um, it's it's Judas Priest writing an entire album on keyboards. Nothing against keyboard players or people who love keyboards, but Judas Priest writing all these songs on keyboard and then going back and adding guitar to it later. No, that's not right.
2: Well, I it just it's I don't know. It's just schmaltzy, and it comes. And I'm not trying to take a dump on it, but I guess I am. But it's just I don't know. That's not what I think of when I want to hear a Judas Priest album. Angel of Retribution, like you said, isn't the greatest thing they've put out, but at least it's true to what they do. Um, This is just too far out of left field for me. But don't you agree?
3: Maybe it could be like a turbo thing where, in like 10, (laughs) (laughs) 15, there's no, it's, it's, here's another funny story because when I was, I guess it was the last, the the second last time I spoke to Rob, it must've been for the screaming for vengeance. And on a piece of paper, on my little notes, when I was doing my phone interview, um, I had just written, is um, is Nostradamus dead? But obviously I obviously didn't want to say that to him. Uh-huh. But I kind of got lost in the conversation, and I still regret this to this day. I said, "So Rob, is Nostradamus dead?" And he's like, in his British accent, "No, Nostradamus is not dead." I was like, "Oh fuck me! I just insulted the metal god."
0: Nice.
3: <laughs> but yeah, no, they really believe in. They really believed in this record, and that's what I say. It's. I think it's. It's probably better than Turbo but I don't think I'm ready to listen to it yet. No. <laughs>
0: but
1: I think this is the thing we have to remember, and this may be something we've learned a little bit today. Judas Priest seems to always have its ups and downs, you know, and maybe not so extreme, but it's like they come out with one album that every, you just love it. And then they come out with the next one, and it's like, eh, it's okay. But then they come back with yeah, something really weird, awesome. Eh? So imagine if Nostradamus was like that, And the rumor is that 2014 is supposed to be the year for another Judas Priest album. Looks like we're due for something that's really, really kick-ass.
3: I hope you're right. The last time I spoke to Rob was, was, it was last year, and we were talking about the fact that Black Sabbath and Judas Priest, it was like, who would have thought that they would have an album out? at the same time and obviously the priest records delayed and blah 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 yeah. but yeah no I agree I think it's it just goes with history it's like this teeter-totter effect that the next record and Halford jokingly because they're very tight-lipped when they do interviews and he told me he said that they're working on a very very strong heavy metal record mm-hmm. and obviously with Richie Faulkner you no know I mean they've got that here's another youthful injection it's kinda of like the Scott Travis painkiller thing right here's a here's a young guitar player on fire he's hungry and glenn is looking at this thing going fuck i I don't even know if i can do that anymore but i'm gonna have to try no i think and compare you compare this next record from priest to 13 from sabbath it's gonna be like night and day guaranteed and they know that and whether or not they believe that they're in this bubble I still think they know what's going on around them. They they can create a better heavy metal record than Sabbath could in a million years.
1: Well, that's going to be saying something because I really liked 13. So if they can top that, man, they're on to something. You know, and maybe it is. You know, here's one for the fans. Here's one for us. Yeah. Here's one for the fans. Here's one for us. Nostradamus was for us. So the next one's got to be for the fans.
2: I hope so. Okay, yeah, because Nostradamus felt like their version of them doing Saucy Jack by
1: Spinal Tap. Or The Elder or yeah. something like that by Kiss. you know. Yeah, it's,
2: it, it's okay to do something all the big, like that uh, once uh, in a while. Uh, All the big classic rock bands have moments like this. Sure, so that's why you come
1: back with The Creatures yeah, I of the don't, Night. That's why you come back with the new Priest album.
2: Well, I don't begrudge them for trying it, because honestly, the concept of doing an album based on Nostradamus sounds really cool on paper. Yeah, kind of does. But executing it is a much taller order than just coming up with the idea. And I just, you know, I, they gave it a good shot, but it wasn't for me. But uh, I... I have faith that they can put out something great after this, and I'm yeah. sure they will. Because Rob, you know, he may not hit all the high notes he used to hit, but he's still got a, a fantastic voice. Are you kidding me? That guy,
1: he's, I think he sounds better than ever.
2: Nah, I'm being realistic. He can't hit the highest notes he used to. Hit
1: he's time. still Rob fucking Helford, though.
2: Okay, make me the
1: dick. You um, are. All
3: right,
1: so. <laughs>
2: Tim,
3: what do, you, what do you hope for? No, I, I, I really am a firm believer that this is going to be their epitaph. It, it, it may indeed be their last record. No, I I I have faith. I, and it's the fact that they're actually taking this long to create it and, and work on it. I'm I'm sure we're going to see it sometime this summer. You know what I mean? It's I just yes. you just wait. I think that that um that piece of dynamite is just it's going to be lit. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's just going to explode. Like Judas Priest are back and on fire. I'm not going to say that Halford's voice is is you know what I mean? But, like, just obviously keep in mind how old he is. Oh, he's yeah. He certainly sing- is singing better than Ozzy by far. Oh, Better, yeah. better than Ozzy, Gio. better than. Better I mean, about, how many bands? better than Ian Gillen? He's singing better than all these guys. Yeah. Robert Plant, give me a break. This Paul guy. Paul Stanley,
1: really Joe Elliott. The list goes on and on. A guy, There's guys today. You go to the list of who's, who's the best singer, who's the worst. Rob Helford's still right up there at the very top. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. You guys have got me really freaking excited today for the new Judas Priest album. Thank you.
2: (laughs) Glad to help. Um, So, well, all right. So, Tim, it's been awesome having you on for this. Hell, yeah. And um, before we let you go, just anything you want to plug, obviously BraveWords.com, but anything else? What's going on with BraveWords?
3: We are redeveloping the site that should be live sometime this spring. We've got, as they say, I hate using this term, but... um, a fresh coat of paint. We're so old that it, it, it just can't be a fresh coat of paint. It's got to be a new frame. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a new house. It'll be the house of heavy metal. Nice. Um, yeah, and that's what we, we've been actually working on this thing for like the past year. So stay tuned for that in the next couple of months. Really, in my
1: my opinion, Brave Words is the, the place to get your hard rock and heavy metal news. I mean, there's other websites that, you know, have big names and stuff. And you go on there and there's uh, news stories about 100 bands you've never freaking heard of. Don't give a damn about. But Brave Words, they know how to whittle it down to the bands that are important.
2: Yeah, and they have excellent taste in podcasts. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And we do our own interviews, too. You you do. You don't just repost. So I I appreciate Brave Words and everything you guys have done. You've done a lot for the show, and I also go there every day for uh, my metal news fix. Heck, yeah. We've gotten ideas for shows just from reading your site, so uh, we appreciate that.
3: Amazing. Thanks so much, guys.
2: All right, great. Well, thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll see you
1: soon. Awesome. Thanks, Tim.
3: Keep the faith, Decibel Geeks. Heck, yeah. We'll